if Ivan said he said last hour alive at six o'clock that morning, I would buy it. I'm not buying that they were dead the night before. When this thing goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty, or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 7, The Roommate. Over the past two episodes, Ivan's mom, Sylvia, had set her sights on Carlos and Anthony. Her suspicions started Sunday, November 5th, one day after the bodies were found. According to Sylvia, Carlos called her that Sunday morning, out of the blue, and said he was in Waco with a dying uncle, and Anthony was deer hunting in South Texas. She said Carlos told her that they would be out of town for a while. So when Sylvia showed up at Carlos's house the next day to get her Mustang, and Carlos and Anthony were in fact in town, she became suspicious of them and why Carlos would lie to her about being away. While at Carlos's house, she overheard him telling Ivan over the phone that Carlos was going to take the plastic out and shoot this mysterious pizza man if he ever found him, leading her to believe Carlos was capable of murder. And just when you might have thought these potential other suspects were coming into focus, at the end of last episode, another suspicious individual emerged in the story. It turns out James and Amy Kitchen had a roommate. I told you in the beginning, this case was complex and had a lot of moving pieces. Sylvia had forgotten the rest of that Sunday, November 5th, the day after the bodies were found. That evening, she met with James's parents, Frank and Gladys Mosqueda, at James' house on Gibbons Drive. James' father had asked Sylvia to come over to go through James' home office to help him understand what kind of papers he was packing up since Sylvia had worked with James in the real estate business. While in the house, she noticed the spare bedroom. This is Sylvia continuing her story. And I looked at uh, the spare bedroom that was across from the office, and the bed looked like somebody had slept in it for a month straight. And I always slept in the same spot and left the covers the way they were. It was never made up. Now, kitchens, that gal is a clean freak. Sylvia is referring to Amy Kitchen, James' fiance. Remember, she was 22 and a nursing student, and everyone said she kept a very tidy home. I, I just can't imagine her not going in there and making up that bed, but she did not go in that room. That was out of character for her. So James' mom, Gladys, asked Sylvia. She asked me if I knew this Frank guy, and I said, no, I don't. This Frank guy was Frank Perez, He was 36 at the time, almost 10 years older than James. He was from Corpus Christi, and he was working at James' mortgage business, although he didn't have any prior mortgage experience. 
Frank testified at trial that James suggested he live with him while he was getting his feet wet in the business, and he had been living there just three weeks before the murders. She says, well, he's been here a couple of weeks, and he's staying over here. And he comes into the house uh, after the police let everybody in that Saturday night. That would be the night before this. After the police finished up their investigation of the crime scene, the bodies were removed and the house was released back to the family. That evening, Frank came back into the house. He's in there and he starts getting the rent check from the duplex or the houses that James had. He had a couple of rent houses in Oak Cliff and he's getting these rent checks and he's telling Gladys that he'll deposit these for the, for the business that he's taken over James's business. When Gladys heard him say that, she doesn't know him from, from anything. She says, who in the hell are you? And then she told him, get the fuck out of here. Get out. She threw him out of the house. You're not so doing who, anything. Who told you this? Gladys told you this? Gladys, uh-huh. And she told him to get the fuck out. So this Frank, who was living there mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, is telling James' mom that he's taking over the business? Mm-hmm. But it's unknown if Frank was talking about taking over the mortgage business, the drug business, or both. Then he's going to deposit the checks, and he's gathering checks. He's going to he's going to deposit the checks and take care of the business. He's going to take over from for James. Did she let him out of the house with those checks and everything? She got the checks out of his hand and told him to get the f out of the house. She threw them out. And do you know if she ever saw him again? I don't think she did. But I find out later on that Frank told the police that he had been doing his laundry in Sherman. We got a laundromat right across the street. He's got a washer and dryer in the house. Why is he driving to Sherman? Frank's alibi is curious. He testified that he was living at James and Amy's house during the week. But on the weekends, he would visit friends in Sherman, Texas, about an hour north and do his laundry up there and hang out. A little weird, since James and Amy did obviously have a washer-dryer in the house. And the police bought that? Yeah, that seems odd. It just doesn't make sense. If they're gonna allow him to spend the night, why wouldn't they allow him to wash his clothes? And what's even more interesting is that sometime before he was gathering those rent checks and James' mom threw him out of the house, Another witness saw him acting suspicious in the house. But let me back up. Mark Kitchen, Amy Kitchen's brother, was trying to make sense of everything after the murders. Because James' family spoke mostly Spanish, he called a friend over to help him translate. Her name was Anna. So in a police report, Mark Kitchen told the police that when Anna was in the house, and this is word for word written on the report, quote, She thought that Mr. Perez was acting very strange and suspicious. Mr. Kitchen stated that she told him Mr. Perez was using his sweater to open a door and to turn the lights on, as if he didn't want to leave fingerprints on anything. Additionally, she told him that Mr. Perez said, They weren't killed last night. They were killed today. That line was read by an actor. And further, Mr. Kitchen said that statement made Anna uneasy. 
So let's think about Frank's statement. You'll remember Amy Betcher said that Ivan killed James and Amy around midnight. So why was Frank saying they were killed today? And how would he know that? The time of death, according to Collin County Medical Examiner's Office, is the time frame between when they were last known to be alive and when they were found dead. So officially, James and Amy Kitchen's time of death was between 10.30 p.m. on Friday, November 3rd and 4.27 p.m. November 4th. You'll remember in Ivan's statement, he said that Amy Kitchen was still alive at 6.30 a.m. when he brought the Corvette back and handed her the keys. So here is where it gets real, real interesting. Amy Kitchen's medical examination form listed her body as movable. To me, that sounds like rigor mortis had not fully set in yet. So I wondered if that could give us any indication of a tighter window of the actual time of death as opposed to the 16-hour window that Collin County gave. So I asked a forensic pathologist. Forensic pathology is the aspect of medicine that pertains to figuring out why people die in uh, situations where the deaths are sudden, violent, or unusual. So we're trained in performing autopsies and interpreting death scene information in the context of laboratory reports, autopsy findings, and also witness statements. That is Dr. Judy Melanick, an expert in the field, and she looked into this case for me. To me, the interesting thing is with regards to the crime scene findings of the bodies, when you look at the description of the body at the scene, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon when they're found, um, Mosqueda is in full Riger is what it looks like. It says Riger in the jaw, arms, and legs. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, kitchen, the Riger is setting in in the jaw, but the body's still movable in the extremities. So you've got a difference in the rigidity of the two of them. Now, what so, does that mean exactly? Well, I mean, usually Riger takes, you know, a few hours to set in. Within about six hours, you'll pick it up in the jaw. Um, it becomes maximal at 12 to 24 hours. Um, and then it'll start to pass by the next, you know, by the next day, by 24 to 48 hours. It'll, it'll, the, the rigidity will leave. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she doesn't have any rigidity um, and in her legs and arms, that she's still movable, um, and it's just setting in in the jaw, so it's more or closer to a time frame that would fit with uh, the statement that was made by uh, Mr. Perez. Uh, Mr. Frank yeah. Perez said that um, he said they weren't killed last night, they were killed today. So if that was the case, they should be in early rigidity the way Amy Kitchen is. Um, the difference in rigidity between the two of them isn't really explained here. Um, it looks like they weren't really looking at time of death as a factor, even though we do have a period of time that Ivan and uh, his girlfriend, Amy Betcher, were out of town. You'll remember that both Ivan and Amy Betcher agreed they had left for Arkansas at least by noon so over four hours before the bodies were found. Without knowing from Mr. Perez what he means by they were killed today, what time of day, it's, it's hard to, to peg that down. Yeah, Ivan's story is that him and his girlfriend Amy, they actually dropped off the Corvette at roughly about 6.30 a.m. that morning, and he says he dropped off the keys to, to Amy, kitchen. Like, she was still alive at 6.30 a.m. So from what you're seeing 
on on her medical examiner report, is it possible that she was still alive at 6.30 a.m.? Uh, yeah, it's possible, given that the rigidity hasn't completely set in yet. The problem is, is that they didn't do a thorough analysis. They didn't do body temperature, you know, so I'm kind of stuck here. <laughs> I mean, if you had to guess, I mean, yeah. not guess, but if you were having to make an assessment from the lividity, what's the window that she would have died? So Riger's setting in in the jaw, but the legs are still movable. So six hours um, to 12 hours of, I would, I would err on the side of more six hours from um, when she, when they're testing this, which is when the um, medical examiner's is at the scene. So if they're at the scene at 6.30 p.m. and the Riger's setting in in the jaw, that's about six hours before that. So it would be, you know, in the late morning, early afternoon of the 4th, not the 3rd. That would correspond with him having seen her alive in the morning. At around 6 a.m.? Yeah. Because for and that she could be... have been killed after that. If Ivan said he said last saw her alive at 6 o'clock that morning, I would buy it. I'm not buying that they were dead the night before. At 10 p.m. No, not with the Riger setting it in the jaw. She should be in full Riger if she died the night before. No, but the the problem is, is that they didn't write such detail for Mosqueda. They just wrote Riger, and then there's a little arrow. So I don't know how reliable this death investigator is, or skilled. That's the problem. Riger, while a strong indicator, is not precise without additional examination like taking body temperature, which was not performed by the medical examiner. And the fact that James' report simply states Riger, there's a discrepancy between the rigidity from James and Amy. So more forensic investigation is oncoming, but it's another piece to add to the mounting pile of a reasonable doubt, especially when another suspect was correct in his statement about when James and Amy Kitchen died. But next, Sylvia adds another unexpected twist. On that night, Sunday, November 5th... Gladys told me that she was supposed to spend the night that Friday night after he got home from dinner and closing the last loan. That she was supposed to spend the night? Mm Mm-hmm. And he told her, you can't spend the night because I have people coming over. That he had company coming over. She said, I should have come over anyway after he told me no. My son might still be alive. So to be clear, on November 3rd, the night of Ivan's midnight visit, James' mom was asking to spend the night, and James told her not to. Would this indicate that James knew something was up? What was going on that night? So it's... It's just unknown if he was actually talking about Frank Perez being the company leaving. That wasn't the company. No, that wasn't the company because Frank Perez, uh, that weekend, he told the police from his statement that uh, he left uh, that night to stay the weekend with some friends in Sherman, so he wouldn't have been the company. So who was the company? And was Frank, Carlos, or Anthony included in this company? Did they know this company? I've wondered if Ivan could have been this company. That seems doubtful. Likely James would have just said, Ivan's coming over. 
whoever this company was, James did not want his mother around. So likely it would have something to do with his drug business and certainly yet another person or persons of interest. Also, that Sunday night, Sylvia continues. When I was in the house with James, with uh, Frank and Gladys, I went into the bedroom and the mattresses that were on the bed were leaning next to the windows, the box spring and the mattress. The mattress was on the outside where I could see the pool of blood. It was about a circumference of about maybe 35, 45 inches. Then you look at the bed frame and there was blood splashed above the, the rice bed. And I saw a pool of blood at the front door of the bathroom, but I never saw them in the crime pictures. Oh. Did Amy testify? I heard something about Amy testifying that Ivan had blood on his hair when he came back to the apartment. Yes, that's what she said. She also testified that he was going over there to kill him. Yep. He said he was going to go kill him, and then he came back covered in blood. But you've seen the jeans, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that those were covered in blood? Nope. They're just spots. If somebody did what they did and what I saw, you would have had blood all over you. This is yet another curious element of this case. The blood splatter on the jeans and socks does not seem to match the crime scene. Again, we'll be getting deeper into the forensics in a later episode. And with respect to the deceased and their families, pictures of the bedroom will not be put online. But I can tell you the crime scene was bloody. Amy was shot four times and two times for James. There was blood all over the walls. Yet, there were only four little specks of blood on the back ankle area of the jeans and also droplets of blood on the bottom of the socks. You can check out pictures of those items on our social media pages. And here's yet another problem with Amy Betcher's statement. She said Ivan came home with blood on his jeans. And while it's true there was blood on the jeans, it's so minuscule you would never notice the blood unless they were laid on a table for examination. So how did she know there was blood on the jeans? And at this point in Sylvia's interview, nothing else of note happened that Sunday night at James' house. So she had essentially finished her timeline. We just continued talking about the case, and other interesting details emerged. Ivan had just gotten off of super salads at 10 o'clock that night. Right. Then he goes over there at 11.30, and then he's back a little after 12. But but Ivan says that he saw Amy at like 2 a.m., get in the car, and 6 a.m. I mean, I would think that... Were they switching cars back and forth? Yeah. James wanted Ivan to take one of the cars out because somebody was coming over, and he wanted Ivan to park his car in the driveway so they would think that somebody's at home. So that so that uh, it would look like he had company, James yes. had company. Mm-hmm. That's what and I they would wouldn't think. come in. Mm-hmm. If he was worried, but why did he tell his mom not to come over that night? And maybe he did tell her that because he was. I mean, if if I was telling the truth and he wanted to leave his car there, then he didn't want his mom there in case somebody was going to come over and mess with him. For the same reason he wanted uh. Ivan to keep his car out front. Um, but there wasn't there wasn't a break in. Right, it wasn't a break in. When you went, because you saw the the scene and and everything was still there, the furniture and stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't look like it had been rummaged through. Nope. 
but Amy said that when Ivan took her back over to the crime scene, she said they were going through the cabinets and the drawers looking for cash and drugs. So why is there no evidence of that? In the first episode, Officer Susan Eisenberg was the first on the scene, and she said, It appeared to be more of a hit than a robbery or a burglary. And from my experience, the reason I say that is because no drawers were turned open or even open. I mean, the house was very tidy. There was no evidence of anyone, any assailant looking for jewelry, um, anything valuable. The hit was calculated, and the crime scene was bloody. They knew exactly what they were doing. That was, it was almost like it was, they'd done it before. It wasn't somebody that was just nearly willy. The attorney said that it was personal because he was shot in the temple. They did not want him waking up. It does appear that James could have been asleep during the time of his murder. He was laying in bed, and that's interesting. Because, you know, Ivan, or at least uh, Amy's story is that Ivan had had called him like at 1130, and then he goes over there, and he's, you know, five or ten minutes away. So if Ivan had talked to him, and he says he's coming over, um, he wouldn't have been asleep Mm -mm. at that time. Mm Mm-mm. James was a boxer, golden gloves. Oh, really? He could have knocked Ivan out in one punch. He was bigger and and more muscular than Ivan. Oh, he was golden gloves, huh? Yeah. Hmm. So something kept him from defending himself. To be clear, James didn't win golden gloves, but he did box in a golden gloves competition. So he was a pretty tough dude and had about 50 pounds on Ivan. So after that evening on the 5th, That would be the last time that things were comfortable between Sylvia and James' side of the family. You see, Sylvia's ex-husband Abner's sister was Gladys, James' mother. But uh, after Ivan was arrested, Abner's side of the family, her her side of the family was not talking to me. Somehow the family got the idea that Ivan was jealous of James. He had his house, he had his business. But that's the only reason that anybody would have killed James, that they were jealous of him. It didn't matter that he was a major drug dealer, and they brought that out in court, and that somebody might kill him for his territory and get him out of the way. It just totally went over them. He got killed because I was jealous. Uh, that doesn't add up to me, Matt. And that gets us to the motive. The family could only assume, and the state's case was that Ivan was jealous of James, and this jealousy caused him to go over that night and kill James and James' fiance, Amy. And since he was down on his luck at this time, he had lost his house, his cars. The state said Ivan wanted to rob James. But the robbery doesn't make much sense. The items that the prosecution charged him with was stealing the platinum engagement ring, the Corvette, and the Rolex. So he would have given the ring to Amy, and then it disappears into thin air on the way back from Arkansas, never to be seen again. Amy said he threw the Rolex out of the window of the Corvette, and then he left the stolen Corvette right outside his apartment so the cops would find it. And then there's the cash and drugs that he and Amy were looking for without disturbing anything and didn't find. So this supposed robbery is perplexing. And while James' family assumes Ivan must have done it since he was convicted, he is family, and over the years, they have expressed their doubts and have been looking at the same people Sylvia has. Gladys thinks it's Carlos. Why does she think it's Carlos? She goes into Walmart 
after the funeral, a couple of months, she walks into Walmart and she sees Carlos there. And he turned white as a sheet when he saw her. I went to have lunch at the restaurant where she was working at El Phoenix. And she said, he looked at me and it was like blood ran out of his face. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. Other family members have had their reservations about Ivan being the murderer also. One being Gladys's sister, Elaine. I just know that she told me that uh, she doesn't believe Ivan had anything to do with it. Elaine for that? Yeah. She thinks that it's either Car- it was Carlos and uh, Frank Perez, or it was Frank Perez. And she was yeah. already in the house. Well, yeah, he had the opportunity, and he had said that he was washing clothes when the washer and dryer was right there. Carlos is in the car and we're driving back and another thing that he mentioned, we were driving back from the the police department. I said, have you seen uh, what they said on the news? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm taping all of them. I've got them, I've got, I had my VCR set up and I said, Ivan, don't you think it's kind of strange that he had the VCR set up? to record the news and see when the story is going to break. He said, Mom, people set their VCRs all the time. No, he specifically said he's taping all of them. And he had the VCR set up. Now, if he was in Waco, how could he set up the VCR at home? Because Sunday morning he told me he was in Waco, he wouldn't be home for a week. That's one more thing that makes me think that Carlos had something to do with it and Frank Perez. I think they were gonna take James' territory from him. And something odd struck me as well, Matt, because Carlos was always, that week was always calling Ivan to see where he was, what he was doing where he's gonna be. Since he didn't get the key back, the apartment key back from Anthony, that they used that key to go in and and set him up. And threw things in the entry closet and threw the, the jeans in the trash can. You know what I think, Matt? I think they didn't give me that car back because they wanted to make sure that whatever they had that was bloody was not in the car and not left in the car. Sylvia's referring to the day when Carlos wouldn't switch out the vehicles and she had to come back the following day. Because the buttons, you know, that hold the, um, the felt lining of the inside of the car, the black buttons that hold that in place, mm-hmm. some of them had been pulled out like something was stuffed in there. What do you think it could be? Drugs. But I think that they wanted to make sure that that car was clean before they gave it to me. So that's why they didn't give it to you that night? That's what I think. Carlos hadn't hadn't gotten a chance if they used that car to go over there and put some things in Ivan's apartment. And wanted to make sure everything was out. It's, It's very complicated. And if it's not Ivan, a lot, just a lot of moving pieces. And so I think a lot of players, a lot of players, which you just don't um, 
normally think of that like mm-hmm. um and how they all connect the Frank Perez's and the Carloses because it didn't seem like they were um in cahoots and then the the Amy Betchers um you know how does it all uh fit together because uh that that's the the interesting thing um because it's well, not I just like one that, guy. I even didn't know that Amy knew Carlos Right. Amy yeah. worked under Carlos when he was the manager at Baby Dolls. Again, Carlos and Amy both worked at Baby Dolls, but it is unknown if they worked there at the same time. Yeah, I remember I was saying that. Which dis- is- he was discovering things as, as he was going out with her. Yeah, that Carlos, he keeps popping up. You know, the same names just keep popping up throughout for all these little things. And I think once you put mm-hmm. all, together all the little things, then it becomes... Something. Now, get well, this. Yeah. From the time I got the phone call from Carlos, I took notes. Days, what day it was, and you about what time it? it was. I put them all in spirals. I started recording the conversations when Ivan would call me from Collin County. Do you have all those? She did have those. And next time on Cousins by Blood, Ivan's back and the candid conversations over the jailhouse phone between him, his mom, and his Aunt Penny immediately after his arrest and the year leading up to his trial. When this thing goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it, but we, right, right now I'm not thinking of all you did not do this, and you know you didn't. I know I didn't do it, but that doesn't mean a rat ass of fucking shit. I want to thank Dr. Judy Melanick for her help with this case. Dr. Melanick is the author of two fantastic books, Working Stiff and First Cut. You can find out more about her work and purchase her books at her website, drworkingstiff.com. That's drworkingstiff.com. To see pictures from this case and support us, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cousins by Blood Podcast. If you have any information about this case, please email us at cousinsbybloodpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a message at 469-382-2004. Special thanks again to Susan Eisenberg. Mixing and mastering by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.